just another bound to be terrific episode of Deep Feels. I'm your host, Liam Garrow, coming to you solo, still not in my apartment. And also, I'm so curious to know, there is construction happening outside the place that I'm in, and it is so egregious. I do, I wonder if the mic's picking it up. Mm, if it is, just indulge in the city scound- soundscape that I'm provided for you, providing for you. Good Lord. You know what? Sometimes recording these intros after having been up since 4 a.m., it will backfire. Um, I hope everyone is doing well. I hope everyone's doing well. Um, as per usual, another incredible guest here on the show for you. Ellery Ward, incredible singer, songwriter, interpreter of songs, just incredibly beautiful voice such a storyteller we have her on the pod here for you today and as always if you are enjoying what you're listening to i highly encourage you to rate review and subscribe it always makes a huge help and difference for the show ellery ward can be found on all social media platforms at ellery ward i am at liam garrow and you know something i just as you know when i'm opening the show solo i don't want to milk it because that's just me when aj's here i'm all for taking our sweet GD time but considering it is just me let's not belabor the point let's get right to Ellery here's the absolutely lovely and talented and wonderful Ellery Ward hello Ellery 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 Ward it's me (laughs) you how are you I'm good how are you doing I'm great I'm gonna recalibrate myself so I don't know you probably don't have this problem because you're a singer who's mindful of their voice I still I feel like I have 90s mindset like remember like being like on the phone like landlines and stuff it doesn't matter if I'm on the phone or speaking into a microphone I'm like no no no. like I'll scream into the microphone like that's what (laughs) we're supposed to do right like I forget that this does 90% of the work for me Ellery yeah it's a thing (laughs) but it also it also does like take practice because I'm also like uh, I I'm expressive and loud when I talk and I I also have to be like oh yeah I can I can chill a little bit (laughs) do you ever have that thing and I should tell you if you're good this is us starting right away how do you feel I feel great let's do it are you someone when you're out in public you're like oh my god like I'm so quiet and demure and then meanwhile your friend is like I heard you from across the room It depends on who I'm with, because (laughs) if I'm like with my theater people, then yeah, I'm so loud. (laughs) Yes, yes. But when I'm like out to like a nice dinner with my boyfriend, I'm like, oh, so it's so nice to be out with you tonight. (laughs) Yeah, just like just a small piece of fish and salad for me, please. Yeah, and then and then I'm out with my friends, and I'm like, ah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I mean, so I mean, while all your voice teachers like, can you speak like you're just with your boyfriend all the time, so you're not blowing out your voice? We would love that. I I, I also have that same conversation with myself. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can I tell you something? Because before we get into this whole thing, I just I want to, frankly, sort of pump your tires here because I have to tell you, I I think like a lot of people discovered you through TikTok and became aware of your, you know, your totally interpretive renditions of you know the Sondheim catalog and I have to tell you something I think you just have a stunningly beautiful voice thank you so much there is so much um storytelling in your voice Ellery I uh it's uh, it's fascinating to hear you talk so candidly about navigating your I think your artistic self as it relates to finding your own voice not only as as it relates to the literal voice of you know the the mechanics mechanics of the voice but you know also your you know your identity and voice as an artist and then having that being conjuncture with your experience with musical theater musical theater training and i and it's that i have to tell you and this maybe is an, an indication of my complete obtuseness about it but i find it staggering that a voice teacher would tell you to or you know that teachers in the past would sort of tell you to change who you are because I think you are just such um you communicate so strongly with your voice Ellery and I love the choices you make in songs and I have sought out videos of yours just to scroll back just so I can hear you sing you know and just so I can hear your your versions of songs I know that sounds like I'm just sort of saying this to say this but it's a one it's a wonderful thing that you do it really really is I appreciate that more than you know. I always feel like my 
my words fail me or seem really, really small in comparison to how big my gratitude, my gratitude is when um, things like that are said to me because it just goes deeper than you even realize. So I really, really appreciate that. Well, I mean, if you can keep my voice in your head, if someone's giving you more crap than you deserve, you just be like, no, I am great. Because <laughs> you, you are great. You have so... I'm also, I'm curious to know your singing or your sort of, you know, your vocal blueprint. Who are the people you grew up listening to who not only did you grow up listening to, but would you say sort of directly correlated to you going like, ah, that is the kind of, not necessarily that's the kind of voice I want because I want to copy it, but who were the voices that really spoke to you when you were sort of developing your musical tastes? Well, it's kind of all over the place and it's, it's grown and changed and morphed throughout my life and still does. So I think this is like a, a multi-legged answer. Yeah, um, totally. But when I was like a small child, I was so obsessed with Sarah Brightman because of Phantom <gasps> of the Opera. Oh, interesting. When I was like six or seven years old, I, I like my dream was to be Christine Tye. <laughs> And I sing Think of Me like every day. I was obsessed. Um, well, and when you're that young, those high notes are no problem. You're like, uh, yeah. oh, I got this. Yeah, like I squeaked them out. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I was like, I was really obsessed with Phantom of the Opera as, as, a, as a child. Um, that was kind of my first musical obsession. Yes. And then it just sort of continued to like morph and change and when I was in high school, um, my teachers, I went to uh, Chicago Academy for the Arts for high school, um, an amazing, amazing place. And my teachers, Andy Robinson and Pat Rusk were big Sondheim people and they Good. instilled a lot of the Sondheim love that I have now. Um, they planted some pretty big seeds there. And they are the ones who introduced me to the company cast recording documentary and <gasps> seminal. Um, yeah, seminal. Just, yeah, it changed my life. And um the company revival with Raul Esparza, um, as well. That as, was probably the first musical I ever saw that turned on my brain to musicals. No kidding. Yeah, I mean it's fantastic. And so and obviously, <laughs> this is like the keystone thing, the 80th birthday concert. Um, oh, when he's just so, a sobbing when they're singing Sunday. Oh. Oh, it's just so good. And yes. the ladies in red is just like iconic in, in so many ways. And I think when I was a teenager and experiencing those types of things for the first time, I mean, Barbara Walsh as Joanne oh. blew my mind. Um, and... Uh, Donna Murphy's Could I Leave You also was like, wow. I, I never experienced any type of performance like that in theater up until that point. I think it was like 15 or 16 years old, you know? Yes. Um, and so that really influenced me a lot, uh, as well as Barbara Streisand, which I think is true for a lot of people. I mean, um, but I mean, a great person to point to. I mean, why not? Yeah. I mean, when, when I was uh, auditioning for... Berkeley College of Music. Um, that's where I went to school first before transferring to Boco. And I remember it was like the night before my audition and I was singing um, a jazz standard called In the Still of the Night. Mm -hmm. um, and I was just like looking up stuff on YouTube for inspiration. And I found this one, I can't remember what year it is. It's in the 60s. Barbara Streisand in Central Park singing Cry Me a River in this 68, dress. 68. Yeah. Okay. The know. concert that launched her stage fright. Yes. Oh my God. And so I found this, this video of her singing Cry Me a River. And I think I watched it like 20 times that night in a row. Mm -hmm. And I was like, shit, I wish I was singing this song for my Berkeley audition. And at that point, I couldn't just change it last minute. But I just remember going into that audition feeling so inspired because I had found that video. Mm. And then after that, Crimea River was in my book and still is to this day because of that video. But those people um, enrich you and they like, yeah. uh, you know, and it's funny, like, do in listening to your voice, like, you know, I don't hear Barbara Streisand in your voice. But you know, what I do hear is like, the real sort of um, the quality of really trying to like inhabit a song, I think mm. is very akin to something that you do that she does this idea of like really wanting to like give. Um, and I don't mean this in a, um, in a, in a, like 
own an overly demonstrative flashy way, but this idea of really wanting to give a performance. Right. And you saying, you know, does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'm really glad that it, it translates that way because all I care about is story and, and emoting in a way that touches people by way of the story. And that is the of utmost importance to me. And I think it wasn't until um, at the very beginning of the pandemic, mm-hmm. uh, I had discovered Caroline Polachek, who uh, yes. is my all-time favorite everything <laughs> at this point. I Her album, Pang, changed my life. It literally hit me like a ton of bricks, and I w- I've never been the same since that day. Um, what was it that, that about her that struck you as hard as it did? Well, a few things. First of all, her voice is very singular mm-hmm. in my opinion yes. um and sonically she creates worlds with her music she creates a whole new sonic landscape with with everything that she puts out and it's so unique i had never heard anything like it and there is a lot that i've heard that sounds exactly the same and so to hear something that immediately the first song i I heard of hers was door and it starts yes, yes. with back in the city. I'm just another girl in a sweater. And that the interval jumps and the way it sat in her voice and her vocal quality, I was like, oh, what is this? Right. And I just sat there and listened to this like four plus minute long song, just like in awe straight through and had to listen to it again and then listen to the whole album and was blown away. And I also realized, oh, what I love so much about her voice is like this yodely vo- voice crack thing. Mm-hmm. And she she uses such a range in her voice and just expresses herself fully through these like vocal, like improv things too mm-hmm. that are mm-hmm. so like emotive. And I sat back and I realized the things that I love so much about her voice are the things that I have in my own and hadn't really been embracing to my fullest capacity. And do you think that was because of your musical theater training that sort of said, don't, don't follow those impulses. Don't follow those instincts. Yeah, absolutely. Because when it comes to my yodely flippy thing, Mm. that always felt like such a no, no in musical theater. Right. Because in college, I felt like the people who were applauded the the loudest and revered the highest were people who could mix belt the shit out of everything. And it sounded like all lives in the mask. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and it, it sounded like they had this like one singular voice that they brought throughout all of their, um, range Mm -hmm. and that was not something that i mean i i can mix because i've learned how but it isn't my home base and it isn't what my voice just naturally wants to do when it just comes out and so upon finding caroline i said to myself okay you are going to make music and sing the way your voice naturally comes out. Yes. And you're not going to think about it. You're not going to try to sound like anything else other than you and what is most comfortable. Because I know that I can do a lot of different things technically because of my training. Right. But when I don't think about any of that, what comes out? That, that was kind of my, my challenge right. to myself. Right. And then I made an EP of original stuff um, that fall. I mean, I wrote it right around when I found Caroline and then I, I recorded it in the fall and it was just sort of like pushing a little bit more of the me-ness <laughs> of my music that I hadn't necessarily had an awareness of before. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when it came to my Sondheim album, it was like, all right, let it, like, I, I'm not an indie folk artist with my own original music. So I was like, what is my version of indie folk? This is my time to explore this style for myself with my natural voice, however that comes out. So just let it, let it come out. And 
Yeah, that's sort of the philosophy I've been writing for the past couple of years now. Well, and it, well, and I will say, I the reason why I think it's also crucial that there is space made in the Broadway theater canon for voices like yours, or how about even let's let's even paint more broadly and say voices that deviate outside of what we typically now sort of associate as being the Broadway voice, right? That mixy high belts, w- wonderful to listen to, but very yeah, very very singular lane right I do and I'm sure you've given thought to this as well like what happens to the people like an Elaine Stritch or what happens to the people like even like a Judy Kuhn or um I don't know singers who singers who just don't have that let's say I mean you listen even though she can do this I mean Patti LuPone's is a very hyper distinctive voice you know right and you wonder like my god if she was starting now would she struggle because of her sort of vocal blueprints? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And I, I just think about, and I don't even know that I have a question around this so much as just like, you know, what do we do to help carve out or preserve the tradition of, you know, uplifting voices that, you know, sort of deviate away from the norm? Like, how do we, how do we uplift a person like you or whoever the modern day Elaine Stritch is going to be or the Judy Kuhn or the whomever? Mm -hmm. Like, how does that happen? You know, I really, I really do feel like it has to do with training and I I mean, just like anything, um, representation. I I just, I obviously am a white woman (laughs) um, and I feel like where I can have a voice in the representation conversation is with the sound of Broadway Mm -hmm. um, while uplifting others to represent all people of of color on Broadway, people with disabilities on Broadway, all of those things that need to be seen on a Broadway stage. Um, But sound is a part of that. And I I know that I'm not the only one who feels this way. Um, And I really think that in training in schools, everyone needs to be embraced for all of the things that I just listed and right. not only embraced, but, you know, boosted up and, and celebrated. So they know that there really is a place for them. And I am determined to be a part of an industry that celebrates that as well. Um, right. Well, I'm curious to know, because, you know, you mentioned you've written original material and of course now things have pivoted pivoted slightly now you're really interpreting song and I'm curious because you know my favorite singer in the world is Linda Ronstadt mm. famous interpreter of songs mm. and I was always really struck by what she said she what was the single qualifier in terms of when she knew she had to sing a certain song as if she could sort of if she heard something and if a film loop started building in her brain if she if she wow. had this visual immediately that happened in her head she knew okay I have to sing that when you are choosing material that is not original to you and isn't from your writer's voice how do you know a song is yours to sing you know it's it's so interesting because it feels sort of like how I feel when I am writing a song Hmm. um the same kind of flips get switched uh in my in my head in terms of what I hear um it's a very organic process in terms of okay I hear I'm listening to the song So there's like a track in my head where I'm listening to the song itself. And then there's another track where my brain is coming up with what I hear for it. Oh, good. Um, good. And it's not something I think of or am like trying to hear. It's just there. And sometimes it's like in the middle of the night when I'm like trying to go to sleep. And Mm -hmm. sometimes it's when I pick up the guitar and I just start playing and it comes out. Sometimes it is when I'm actively listening um, and kind of like doing my research per se. Um, It's sort of all over the place, but it's, it's not something I ever can force or like make happen. It's either the sounds are there or they're not, or there's like a faint a faint echo and I know that it will come right but it's not there yet <laughs> not to sound hideously trite do you equate it in some ways to falling in love where you're just like it kind of just sometimes the feeling just overcomes and you're just kind of like this is it yeah absolutely and it is that way because I will 
be in the middle of coming up with something and it will just take me away. And then before I know it, time has passed and I haven't looked at my phone and there's a million messages and I haven't, you know, come out of my room for hours and I am really hungry. <laughs> like it's, it's like, it overtakes me for sure. And it's not something that you can manufacture. It just happens. Are there, when you listen to music, are you, I know you talk about sort of, it's just a feeling that, that overcomes or the sort of that, you know, um, that sort of kind of washes over you like a wave, but mm-hmm. are there, when you listen to a song on a more technical aspect, are you someone who is really pulled in by melody? Are you, a, I know, cause you mentioned being very story oriented. I can imagine you're a person who really is paying very close attention to lyrics. I can assume when you're listening to music. It's, Depends on the song, I, I think. It's, I don't think it's necessarily one size fits all there, but um, primarily melody is the thing that lures me in the most. Um, and the way I view a song is the melody is the skeleton and the rest is how you want to flesh it out and dress it up, um, which is kind of the opposite of how Sondheim looks at his own songs, um, <laughs> which oh, is how, interesting. How does he look at his own songs? I don't know that I'm, I'm privy to this. He finds the most important aspect of the song to be the arrangement and like the harmony and the, the, the orchestration. Um, so like the chords and, you know, for example, if we're talking about merrily, we roll along that like that to him is more of the basis of the song than and I view it the opposite way. Uh, oh, I see. I see. So that's why I always say, I think while I know he, had access and like listened to my album I don't know what he thought and I'm not sure I'm not sure what he would say about it because I I kind of did the opposite thing to what he did with his materials people listening to this at home can't appreciate this my eyes just shot into my hairline wait a minute you know that sometime listened to your album yeah multiple people multiple people sent it to him and told him about me and what I was doing so that's enough yeah. to make you I don't know like just sweat for the rest of your life yeah but it's like uh, it's kind of a, a wonderful thing that I I don't know what he really right. thought yes t- true enough and, and, thank, and, and in a way in a way thank god in a way you know what I mean like yeah. for better or for worse because I think because I I'm, know you are a person who, of course, holds him in very high regard, as we all should. And I think his opinion of you could really sort of like, whether it was really good or really bad, it would like create its own complex, don't you think? Probably, possibly. I really don't know. Maybe because, I'm projecting. Uh, I mean, I, it, it, I probably, but I also can't know. Right, because, right. You know, um, but bottom line, he knew that I was out here honoring his work in my own way, regardless of his opinions on how it sounded. Um, that's what matters. It's, it's, he, he knew that I was doing this out of love and appreciation for him and his, his catalog. And that was the message that I wanted to get across to him. Um, and if he didn't like what I was doing with his material, it probably, I mean, if that's the case, it just instills the fact that I'm doing it my way. Right. And I'm, I'm working from off of uh, a sort of format that wasn't his. And I think that's kind of cool. Um, well, so- and I, I would think, I mean, listen, I, far be it for me to say, who, who knows? But I think if I were someone who wrote material, and God knows he wrote a ton of it that's been recorded and re-recorded and will continue to be recorded and re-recorded. Mm-hmm. I would almost think, I would sort of take it as a big coup, frankly, because I think, you know, one thing that doesn't, again, really happen anymore. And one thing that doesn't live in the pop music world anymore is really this idea of people who interpret material anymore, you know, and that used to be sort of exclusively what dominated yeah. radio in the thirties right. and forties and fifties and sixties. And then there was the singer songwriter boom, that took place mm-hmm. in the 70s and the, or late 60s and into the 70s. And then that shifted everything, right? Right. And so I actually wonder if there was an, something that he kind of thought like, oh, cool. My music 
is being slotted now into this category where someone is inventive enough and imaginative enough to hear it a different way and to phrase it differently and have it sort of take on a different, I don't know, I know I keep coming back to this word, but like a, like a different sort of sonic fingerprint, you know, that it could right. live in a different space. Right. And that's my goal because I mean, I've gotten messages from people saying, I never liked musical theater, never liked listening to it. I mean, I'm the same way. Um, really? I, yeah, I don't like listening to cast recordings. Um, and people saying, I never really understood Sondheim or like got his work. And then I listened to your album and now I get it. And now I enjoy it. And this is a way that I can really enter into it. And I'm wow. like, I hope I'm doing you proud Sondheim because I, all I want to do is share something that is so special to me as I know it is for so many others. Right. With the people who may not have been touched by it yet um, because they haven't resonated with the form that it's taken on. And I understand that because like I said, I'm not a listener of Broadway cast recordings because of the way it sounds. Like it's, mm. not, it's not listenable to me. Um, as it is watchable and listenable. Um, no, totally. It's, it's like, it needs to be, it's, it's in the same thing. It's like, it's almost the different iteration of how they say, well, you know, like a play is not meant to be read. It's meant yes. to be read, right? I and say so, that all the time when really, explaining yeah. this. Yes. yes. And so it's, you know, I would imagine, yes. So then similarly with a musical, it's meant to be sort of experienced and the, and it's not dissimilarly, actually, I don't, I'm not a person who's constantly leaning on a Broadway cast recording as something that I'll just like put on every so mm -hmm. often I'll like dip into a song right but it's not something I put on it's not an it's not in the same way that I put on you know XYZ album you know what I mean like yeah, it is right. very it is a very specific thing and I think you're right I think those musicals and I think or rather that music really does live on stage yeah and so for those who are kind of like me or even didn't even know who Sondheim was and because they're just not musical theater people at all and like et cetera et cetera I, I feel like it, I am one of the many vessels of this icon's work yes. and I, I have been very validated uh, with the people who not only like love his work to begin with but especially the people who would never have listened to the Ballad of Sweeney Todd uh, before hearing my album. And it's like, okay, if this, is, if this is a way for me to get people to love this man's work as much as I do, then I'm going to keep going. Are there people on Broadway now that you point to as being, um, that either are role models for you or people that you enjoy their storytelling? Or is that really so like not your lane in terms of people you look to to sort of inform your work? You know, it's funny. Yes and no. Um, when I think of the people that I really look up to, they aren't necessarily like the people that you would think when it comes to like a Broadway inspirational thing. But I mean, like who? Like who? I mean, specifically, like I the the music that I listen to um, that inspires me more than it anything else and mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. Caroline Polachek being one of them Leanne Le Havas being another one of them Sufjan Stevens um Saint Vincent uh, and oh do I love Saint Vincent yeah me too oh, I, she's God. just she is just so free like I I saw her daddy's home tour at, at Radio City Music Hall oh, um, wow. and I was blown away by just the like fluidity that she just oozed out of her. And I found that to be more inspiring than seeing like mean girls, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean that, that, that kind of experience seeing someone just be their whole self on a stage that they created the, the world of, I mean, and Caroline is another one of these people like St. Vincent where it's like, they, they view their music as this world that they create. And um, there's such a part, uh, uh, the 
crux of creating the visual identity of the sound as well. I was just well. going to say, yes, totally. Yeah. And it's like, oh, that, that is just so like sexy to me. Yes. Um, whereas when you're, obviously I've had fantastic experiences watching Broadway shows. I mean, um, Angels in America, part one of the revival, like literally Ooh. ripped my body open. <laughs> like, was that with uh, Nathan Lane and Andrew Garfield? Yeah, that, yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, the end of part one, I was shaking. Uh, I, I called my boyfriend just because I had to talk to somebody because I went alone. Yeah. Um, and I didn't even know what to say. I was just like, uh, I saw this thing and I feel I'm crying, but I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, so like there are those experiences on Broadway that have absolutely changed me. Um, but I think I find them more with artists individually because it's uh, an open form, you know? They get to create whatever they want because it's their world. Right. And they get to lead with who they are and how they are and sound however, the, however way they want to sound because um, it's theirs. And I, I just sort of want to take the inspiration that I get from those types of musical experiences into theatrical experiences. And well, and I think it's, I mean, again, I, I think it's really crucial that there's sort of more agency made to be a little more, I don't know, creative or interpretive. Cause I know, and I know you know this already, but like I've heard of stories where like uh, put-ins and of course there's a whole conversation now around like how crucial and how difficult to be put in on a Broadway show is right now, mm -hmm. but where like a put-in will go in and they'll maybe even just do like the, sm like the smallest inflection modulation on not even like not even like a whole like um not even on a whole verse but even just like on a word or something and then yeah. like and then a stage manager will come up to them like after the show and be like hey um so when you're singing defying gravity um yeah they actually really don't want you to riff there like they really want a straight tone into the vibrato so um just something to remember for tomorrow and you're like ay 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 yeah yeah that sucks and I just, I want to be the one where when it comes to my, my place in whatever production I'm working in, I want my choices to be my choices. Obviously everyone has to be on the same page. It's a team effort. Of yeah, course, totally. but yeah. like, yes. but I, I want there to be that type of freedom of expression that I'm so inspired by when it comes to the artists that I look up to. Um, Cause that's when I find the most inspiration when I am in the audience of a show. When I know that who, whatever actor I'm looking, oh, sorry, my, I'm getting a call and I. <gasps> yes, answer that call. No. Let's put it on the podcast. Yes, no, yes, it's yes. Defi <laughs> it's definitely Spamola. Um, sorry about that. <laughs> no, no problem at all. I mean, I, my favorite is, I, I, even though I know it's a spam call, when I see that I have a missed call, I still get so excited. I'm like, who called? And then oh like, God. and then I like check the voicemail and it's like a woman speaking in Mandarin. You're like, mm, okay. I should have known. Yeah. I the, known. yeah. <laughs> it's never the, the only time it's ever been what I wanted it to be was when I got, when I booked the Muni in like years ago, I got this, like, I got a St. Louis call like a few days before and it wasn't anybody and I was like Ugh. <laughs> and You're then like, like you guys um, yeah and then a few days later I got like another Miz Missouri call and I was like it's probably not but hello <laughs> yeah <laughs> and they were like yeah we want to cast you and I was like this actually happens where you pick up the phone and it is who you want it you to be get, and then you like get gainful employment from a phone call what I know yeah. It doesn't happen anymore. It's really only email, but you know. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, you I, pick up, you answer the phone. Hello, show business? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, now I'm curious, when did you move from Chicago to New York? No, I went to uh, school in Boston for five years. So ah. I went to Berkeley College of Music for a year studying songwriting. Um, and then transferred over to the Boston Conservatory where I did four years for musical theater as well as 
um, two years of songwriting emphasis. Um, and then I moved to New York just outside of uh, college um, in 2017. So, where did I invent Chicago for you? Did you mention Chicago earlier? Oh, yeah. No, no, no. You're, you're good. I'm from Chicago. <laughs> okay. Okay. Got it. Got it. Well, and also Born Chicago, and raised. great, great theater town, Chicago. I know. The best. I know. Um, I love were, it. Well, did you also, because that's such also like, Chicago has always been very interesting to me just quickly as a, like as, as a theater town, because it is an equal measure, a total prestige theater place and also like comedy veterans town. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. of like Second City and IO and all that. Right. Right. And so I can just imagine that must have been like, well, I'm, I'm, although it's funny, I was gonna be like, that must have been so enlivening. Although what you hear about all the time is people who like live in those places. They're like, yeah, we never went to go see. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> like you hear that all the time. Were you like a big theater going family and theater going kid? Yes. Yes. Good. Thankfully, Good. my my parents have always supported the arts and therefore have supported me pursuing the arts. Um, I mean, I remember when I was a kid, my my parents would take us to like community children's theater, like stuff like that. I remember my first show I ever saw was Peter Pan and I was so obsessed. <laughs> yes. Um, and then we, we always saw whatever national tours were in town. Um, I, I countless, countless. Right. I mean, that, that's why I saw Phantom of the Opera when I was like six years old <laughs> mm-hmm. and was just blown away by it. Um, and then, uh, we also always went to Steppenwolf and, and the Goodman as well. Uh, so incredible. I, yeah, I got really lucky growing up around that. Were you, because I think Steppenwolf is where August Osage County debuted, yes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you have the pleasure of seeing it there? I think I was too young. Dang it. <laughs> Dang. Well, because also, are you... I feel like you are younger than me, but it's funny. When I did see you on TikTok, I just knew right away. I'm like, Ellery is a young old. She is either, <laughs> and I'm sure this bites you in the ass with casting all the time, because it's like you're. It's like she's either 22 or she's 43 years old. Well, I have gotten called in for, like there was a show I was called in for a couple months ago where I was called in for like the best friend who is like 18, but then I was also called in for the mother who's like 35 to 40. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. But I'm 27. I'm you 27. are 27. Yeah. It's so funny. But, but so that's why I also, when I asked you, I'm like, when you're like, I was too young. I'm like, oh, right. How old is she? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, so when you moved to New York, when you, in 2017, are, was that, I don't know, maybe this, again, this could totally could be coming from the vantage point or perspective rather of my own projection. Was New York overwhelming to you in the way that people say that it is to be in that city? And again, to be in the city where Mm. like, you know, it's all happening, right? I think, so when I was younger, I was so afraid of New York City. Were you? Yeah, I was so afraid of it. It was so overwhelming and I never wanted to live here. I literally said to my parents, I will, I'm never going to be on Broadway because I don't want to live in New York. (laughs) Just too intimidating, then, like the size of it, just too much. Yeah, and like yeah. when we went on family trips here when I was a child, I was just like, I think I was just overstimulated and frightened of everything and all the people and stuff. Um, Can I just tell you quickly, I had a similar-ish thing when I was, so different than New York, but the, you should know that in Canada, the comparisons like that people always immediately draw within like the Canada-US thing, it's always like, Toronto versus New York, LA versus Vancouver, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. So when I was 18 and I visited Toronto as a perspective, like trying to find apartments to live thing, because I just decided uh-huh. impulsively, I was like, ah, I'm going to move to Toronto. <laughs> and I remember being so, because you use the word overstimulated, I yeah. think I was just so energetically tapped out on like the vibration of that city. I just honestly, and this is, as you can imagine, already just in our conversation, unusual for me. I just went quiet. Like, I just went, like, I got yes. so burned out on the energy of that city. I just kind of internally shut down. And I was like, yeah, how could, how does anyone live here? That's what I remember, right. remember thinking. Yeah. I, I totally resonate that with, with that. And then um, it wasn't until my senior year of high school, uh, the musical theater department seniors every year go to New York for spring break. Um, and they're, you know, it, I went to a tiny high school. There's like 
150 students in total. So there were like seven of us senior musical theater kids. Oh, wow. And uh, so we all went to New York and it was, I was 17. So I had a little bit more of an independence about me, a little bit more of a confidence about me. And I was there with my friends and my teachers, which allowed us like just more Good freedom. buffer. And also like something of a buffer, like you're not having yeah. to like brave right. the elements on your own, right? Right. And right. so that that was a really big game changer of a trip for me uh, regarding my thoughts and feelings about New York. And then throughout my time at FOCO, they would have weekend, like a Saturday New York trip where you get, you all get on a bus and you all drive to New York and then you, they let you off and you get to do whatever you want for the day. We would see like Broadway shows and go to restaurants or whatever. And then by this time you get back on the bus and then we head back to Boston. And those trips were also really great because it was a similar thing of like, okay, I can kind of explore the city on my own time with my friends. I'm not alone. Um, and have a good time, like independently forming my own relationship with it. So then it was like, okay, yeah, I'm moving to New York, no matter. What. <laughs> Bye. Yeah. yeah. And, and meanwhile, then, your parents are like, we are actually so not surprised. We've been waiting for this for like, my, yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what they said. They were like, yeah. we knew all along. We just were waiting for you to figure it out. Yes, of course. Um, and then when I moved here, it was just kind of normal, honestly. And I think it also was a little bit more normal because I went to high school in the city of Chicago. I went to school in the city of Boston and then coming to New York, it's like, okay, this is actually a lot more comfortable to me than I there thought some it was. Good, yeah, some good building blocks to get there, mm-hmm. but also an, an indication, obviously, that it's, again, not to sound so woo-woo, but an indication probably that you were and are where you're meant to be. Exactly. And I think more than anything, the thing that was stressful was, was not the city itself. Like you, everyone thinks the subways are like so hard to figure out here. And then you live here for like two or three weeks and then you know everything. It's fine. Um, And then, so, so that, that the like day-to-day stuff really wasn't that like overwhelming to me. It was more so the audition grind and like how auditions I was were run. just about to ask what yeah. is audition culture like there it is a lot yeah I mean it's a lot because every audition season like this is just my own experience but every audition season it starts out and everyone is at everything and there are a ton of people and then as audition season continues you see less and less people or like over the years, you see less and less of the people that you saw a couple of years ago. You know, it's just right, sort of like when people kind of, you know, they fall away. It's like, yeah. it's, a, it's yes. There's that. And then plus another hundred people just got off of the train, you know, like they're right. every year, new people move the to new, new batch. York. Right. Yeah. So it was kind of like you saw that kind of dynamic shifting and changing as the years went by. But um, overall, like you find your people, your friends at auditions. Like I have my like three friends who I always saw at every audition, and like we, oh, that's, that's you know, mind trippy thing too. Because then of course you're like you're running into a bunch of people. You're like, oh, I guess we're this type. <laughs> so it's like, well, here, oh, hello, oh, hi, hi, other people <laughs> who are who I will probably see every single Thursday for the next four years. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, then you like form a little bond and camaraderie, which I always loved. And yes, I, had, I just like had my audition sisters who to this day are those people for me. Um, but, and, and the friends that you make at auditions, like where you're like not friends anywhere else other than auditions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I love it. Uh, but it was, it was like, it was a lot to enter into not having known like Boco doesn't teach you how auditions are run in New York. So I what sho- was What like, shocked you the most about aud- auditioning in New York? Like the, the tiny little rules and processes of like signing up for an audition and like how you line up and you only have like, you, you have to sign in 10 minutes before your audition time, but like kind of not because by 10 minutes they close the, group um so you don't know those the way those things work unless you experience it for yourself 
Um, and it's those little things of like, I have no idea how this is run or how things go, but I'm in line at 6am in the cold, you know? Talk so- to me about that. Cause explain, cause I, and I want to also, again, be very honest about my sort of ignorance about this. So how, why? Why do they start that early? Why are people getting in line at 6 a.m.? Yeah. So here's the thing. I have been equity since I did the Muni in 2016. So I've been very blessed that I haven't had to like do the unofficial list thing as a non-equity member. Okay. Um, uh, so they're the people who wake up at like 3 a.m. to create a ratchet piece of paper that they like put outside of Pearl Studios and start no. an unofficial list and they put their names down according to that. The lot, the actual line situation though, if you're going to an EPA, um, is EMC members and equity members who don't have online appointments, they line up the day of to get the audition slots that are the walk-in slots. So when you're... I mean, I, as an equity member, I could be like eighth in line, but be the first equity member. You know what I mean? Right, Um, right, right, right. So if I, I usually went to auditions in like the first couple of groups because I like getting it out of the way and moving on with my day. I always got there fairly early so I could get the first slots. Um, It also just sounds crazy to me, like singing at 7 a.m. I mean, no. (laughs) Like that sounds so awful. Yeah. I mean, normally I think the first audition group would either be nine or nine 30. So if it it starts still so early, (laughs) I know, but like when you've been awake since however long you're four or five, you're like ready to to do it. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. By that point you've been like standing up straight long enough where like blood is circulated throughout your body where you're like, I guess, I guess let's yeah. do it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I don't know. It just became a normal thing, which it absolutely is not. But Right, right. Uh, yeah. So you go up, you get your audition slots. If ever, all the walk-in slots as an equity member um, are, are filled up, then you get put on the alternate list. And whoever cancels or doesn't show for their time, they call off the equity alternate list as uh-huh. you're going. So you just kind of have to wait around. And then- the EMCs sign up for their list and the EMC people go after all the equity people have gone. And then (laughs) that unofficial list of non-union people, they get transferred onto an official list at the start of the day. And once all the equity people and the EMC people get seen, then they move on to non-equity. And this is why I get so frustrated when people like eat their lunch in the middle of an actor's audition. I'm like, you have no idea. You right. have no idea. <laughs> like just give them their like what eight bars or whatever. Just give them their eight bars. I literally, okay. These are like my favorite two stories. Please. Um, oh my God, please. I once was doing a monologue for just one man behind the table. It was just this one man. And, uh, <laughs> he was texting underneath the table, but I was, you know, it's like a folding table. I can fully see you texting, man. Like, what the heck? <laughs> and in, in that moment, do you, do you keep going or do you like there? Cause I don't know. I, I don't know you terribly well, obviously, but I just feel like you strike me as being a person who would have the inner battle of like, do I keep going? Or do I just say like, do you need a minute? So this is something where now I probably would have stopped and said, thank you so much. Have a good day. Right. Um, Cause I, that's not a person I want to work with. Right. Uh, and why waste the rest of my breath? Um, right. Unless, unless it's like, I just want to practice this monologue for practice sake. And it's my own thing for myself. And I don't even care if I get this, then like mm-hmm. maybe I'll keep going for myself. But whatever. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I, I also was, uh, in the middle of singing a song for a guy and I see him put down my headshot and resume and then I see him pick up the next person's and I could see it so clearly because oh. the person's headshot is on the other side <sighs> looking straight at me. Um, 
and I'm singing the song while he's reading this next person's resume. And that I, I really do wish I had just stopped singing and, and looked at the, the accompanist and said, thank you so much. I'm all set. And like, thank you guys for having me and walked out. I, I really like anyone who does that. I do not want to work with them. It's so, so it's so insane. I just, I think I am, I'm constantly bowled over. And I mean, I experienced this in my own way, like on the writing end of things, but like you are just, I'm flummoxed by people's complete ineptitude about like, I don't know, basic civility, human decorum. Yeah. It's like, I know that you have your own thing going on over there. And of if course. I am, you can immediately tell I am not right for anything, but like be polite about it. It's, be polite. It quite literally, Ellery, is the least a person can do. Right? My That's what I think. God. Now, let's flash forward ahead because I, as I said, I discovered you on TikTok just for myself as a result of this fantastic collection of Sondheim songs that you've pulled together. So tell everybody, because we, so we, you and I are recording this on a Monday. This episode is coming out next Monday. So in a week. Fabulous. And so let everybody know, first of all, the, the name of your album, where they can find it. And then like, do you have, do you have shows coming up? Cause I, I saw sort of through the TikTok ether that there maybe were yes. some performances happening. Yes. So, um, my indie folk Sondheim album, it's called a perfect little death and you can stream it anywhere you listen to music. It's on Every music platform All the you platforms. can think of. Yeah. Um, and if you want a physical copy, it's also on Amazon. <laughs> um, and and uh, everybody get your, I'm honestly, I'm going to, I'm going to pump you up because this is what I should do. Everyone treat yourselves to the physical copy. It's so, it's, it's always a different asonic experience, you know, when you're dealing with a physical copy, but like to have it in the room, I cannot, I know, I know it sounds again like I am paying you lip service, but to people listening, <laughs> I cannot begin, even begin to tell people how, honestly, just enjoy your voices. And with that, with that material and in the way that you construct it and the way that you've broken it down, and it is so, it is, it is, it is emotionally complex, but it is so accessible. You know, mm -hmm. it is just so straight to the point, no frills, Ellery. I mean, that's what I'm after. It's, it's very raw and stripped back. So it allows, it allows for space, you know, for, for the storytelling and for the words and the music to hit you that much deeper, I think. Um, is there a song from that album, right? That sort of is a, is sort of, cause I'm, I'm sure it shifts around, but is there, are there, is there a song or are there songs from that album that are particular favorites of yours right now to sing? Yeah. Um, I really love, I mean, oh, okay. Uh, it does change. <laughs> that's why I'm, that's why I say right now, just yeah, right okay. now. Yeah. Right now. Um, so I played a, a show in St. Louis just recently and I played finishing in the, finishing the hat and send in the clowns for the first time in front of a live audience. Ooh. And those were my favorite songs of the night because of that i think and it just hit me and i yeah it i, I really love singing those songs um, i must say before we get to plugging your shows there must be also a different experience when you have the experience of like listening to a song and going like oh yeah that's a good song and then has your experience shifted have you had a different impression of a song when you were had only just listened to it versus when you then had the experience of singing it? Yeah. Um, I get really emotional every time I sing Joanna Reprise. Mm. Why do you think? I think a couple reasons. One, I just think about the fact that I came up with the arrangement nearly three years ago mm. and now I'm performing it for sold out audiences. Right. And that just hits me deep. And then I also think about like, I took this quartet thing and made it into a really like streamlined love song. And the melody just kind of rings a little bit 
deeper when I sing it as a solo. And that also strikes me when I perform it. Hmm. Yeah. That's incredible. Where, where can people now, taking into account that this is going to be released in one week's hour time, because now for people who are hearing this when it is released, mm-hmm. this is all the time machine, but yes. where, where can people see you perform? Okay, so unfortunately, but also like really cool that both of my Joe's Pub shows in March are sold out. Yes, 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 Um, yes. Yeah, really wild. Uh, But I will be bringing my stuff to St. Petersburg, Florida at Free Fall Theater April 7th. Okay, um, fantastic. Which there are absolutely still tickets for that. And then you can see me... Uh, across the country this summer opening up for Josh Groban. <laughs> I did not know that was happening. Ellery, what? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, when did you find this out? Well, he called me and asked me in early December. And then um, it was announced just a week ago. So, yeah. Ellery, motherfucking ward. <laughs> If you think we're going to leave without you telling me this story, first of all, walk me through the phone call. Walk me through (laughs) the story of how he found out about you. Tell me everything. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's just so crazy. So I... uh, I'm honestly sweating. I'm I'm sweating. (laughs) (laughs) It's just so crazy. Um, October 3rd, uh, it was a Sunday, it was the day before my debut solo show at Rockwood Music Hall. And um, I remember opening my Instagram and getting tagged in a story. And I opened it up and Josh Groban shared my, my Joanna reprise music video to his story being like, you will not believe like what Ellery is doing to these sometimes songs. It's, it's amazing. And I was like, what? <laughs> and like, what? So I messaged him just thanking him and appreciative of, of his kind words. And um, he told me that Kevin Gore, who's the president of Warner Chapel Music, had a meeting with Josh. And at their meeting, Kevin was like, by the way, you need to listen to this album. I know that you would love it. Um, and so he took a listen to it. And I guess he did love it. <laughs> and the next night, I come to my sound check for my show and uh, my PR guy, Dan, is there and he says, so I know your friends are using a couple of your comps, but I was wondering, since they're coming to your first show, your, my, your, my 7 p.m. show, uh-huh. would it be okay if they didn't come to your nine o'clock show because Josh Groban and Kevin Gore want to come? Oh my God, Ellery. <laughs> And I was like, yeah, I think they'll understand. <laughs> so Kevin and Josh came to my show and I, I played for a sold out audience and it was a very intimate and personable experience. And it was wonderful. And I met Josh after the show. He's just so warm and lovely and kind. Hold and- up, hold up. How do you handle <laughs> the nerves and even just like getting your voice to work when you know that Josh Groban's in the audience? Honestly, I think because I had already done the first show and that's what I was most nervous about. I was like, I can do this. I can do a second yes, show. I just, yes, I already proved yes. it to myself, you good, know? Good, good, And, and the reception was so well, uh, it went so well that I was yes. like, I just need to like ri- continue to ride the, the wave that I'm on tonight and just keep sharing myself. Um, and that's what I did. And I mean, it really was weird. Like I, in that room in stage three at Rockwood, you really can see everybody in the room. Um, and there was something at first that was like super nerve wracking about that, but then it actually became a comfort uh, to like look in people's eyes and be like, we're all here together experiencing this and looking in Josh Groban's eyes and being like, yep, I'm playing this song and we're here experiencing this together actually felt like strangely normal. No, um, I, can, I uh, weirdly enough, I, I actually, I can understand that. I can. Yeah. I can. Cause I, I think it was just a very human experience right? because of that. Um, but yeah, he was so great. And um, 
the next day he messaged me just thanking me <laughs> for, for the show that I put on and for sharing my music. And, and you said, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, right. Um, <laughs> yeah, and it was just, it was really, really nice of him sort of like kept in touch and become friends. And yeah. um, he, in early December, uh, he texted me being like, do you have a moment to talk? <laughs> and I was like, that's so, I, I hate it when people text me things like that. Cause then I my know, anxiety, I know. my anxiety is like, what do you want to talk to me about? <laughs> and you're like, the only phone calls I get are from like, you know, robocalls and spam. What is this? Yeah. Right. And so he calls me and he says, okay, you don't have to answer right away. You can even say no. I really, it's, it's not about that. Um, but I was wondering if you wanted to be my opener for my summer arena tour <laughs> oh my god Ellery yeah and I was just like uh, thank you <laughs> and then you know all the details sort of like wriggled themselves out and it became a real thing and now it is a real thing it's Holy a real thing shit Ellery so wait when is this tour starting uh July no June 17th um, it starts in Detroit and then uh, we end August 2nd at the Greek in LA. Oh my God. Yeah. That's so exciting. It's so exciting. I don't know if I can work this. I'm going to really try. I'm going to see if I can't make it down to LA to see you in August. Oh my God. Well, we are playing a date in Toronto. I can't remember the date, but like. But do you know something? Now I'm in Vancouver. So I feel like, oh. wouldn't, that, wouldn't that be so much, wouldn't that be so fun? I'll just like come down to yeah. LA and then see you. <gasps> it's going to be so cool. I, I oh, just, I, oh my yeah. God. I just, I cannot uh, stress enough how a year ago I was like not doing so well. Yeah. And now I'm going on tour with Josh Groban. So like anything is possible when it comes to just persistently putting your work out there. Well, and I also want to say more specifically about you, I think demonstrating what is possible, and I'm sorry, I don't mean to sound hokey, but this idea of when you, when you listen to and follow your genuine voice, right? Sort of like what we were talking about at the top of the, of this whole chat of like when you, mm -hmm. Like when you, just like you said, when, if, when you really listen to like, okay, or when you strip away what you think you're supposed to be doing, how right. you think you're supposed to stand, supposed to sound, when you just follow like that, like unique inner voice, like it's incredible what happens. And, and there's also this, actually this very old expression that I like, which is um, when you follow your bliss doors open where you didn't even realize there were any. Yes. That is the story of my career. Right. Like, but literally. I, I actually think when people do that, I know this paints with a very broad stroke, but I actually really firmly believe that is, that is what happens for people. I really just think like the yeah. universe kind of makes itself, you know, it opens itself up to you. I really do believe that. Yeah. I really do believe that as well. And that, um, even though it may take more time, mm -hmm. um, the universe rewards authenticity more than anything else i agree let people know also because we've given dates and tours and that's all great but then with smaller things that come up or just generally people want to like keep up to date with you where yeah. can people find you on the social sphere yes you can <laughs> you can find me at ellery ward literally everywhere Good. instagram tiktok twitter um and you can find all of the info that you could possibly imagine wanting to know on my website elleryward.com um that also has like all my ticketing info on it um and uh you can listen to my music anywhere so i'm kind of I'm omnipresent. You're days. around. They say, you know, I'm around. I'm yeah. around. Well, I, I have to tell you, it means the world that you would make time to do this. And I wanted to talk to you for a while. And as I said, and I, and I know it sounds hyperbolic, but I love your voice, Ellery. And I, and I love not only how it sounds, but what you do with it. And not only, I think the biggest, I think the biggest gift that, you know, artists especially can sort of give to people is not only, um, 
the ability to feel their feelings, but even to begin to identify what they are, you know, and you totally do that in your singing. And so I really appreciate you. I'm so excited for you. I'm so looking forward to being in touch and just seeing everything that happens and develops for you. I, I can't, I can't even begin to tell you how really genuinely thrilled I am for you, Ellery. This is very exciting. Thank you so much. I'm honored that you asked me to be on and I'm so happy to have had this chat with you. You're so wonderful. Well, listen, <laughs> you and I are going to keep in touch. We'll chat way yes. more, I'm sure. And yeah. listen, you, it's getting, listen, it's getting to be almost dinner time where you are. So let's let you go <laughs> so you can go live your life. But I, <laughs> I really appreciate you doing this, Ellery. I appreciate you. So thank you so much. All right. Well, listen, I'll see, see you on TikTok. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Take care of yourself. Bye. You too. Bye. <laughs> I loved talking to her. I love her so much. I love her singing. I know, and I said this in the episode, I know it just sounds like I'm saying this to pump her tires just for the hell of it, but the reality is her voice is so beautiful. Go buy her album, get a physical copy, stream it anywhere you can. A Little Death, Ellery Ward, Sondheim Songs, so beautiful. And follow her across all social media platforms at Ellery Ward. Go see her open for Josh Groban. Why wouldn't you go do that? I'm at Liam Garrow across all social media platforms. Rate, review, subscribe to the show. And as always, I hope you all have a lovely rest of your week. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye.